your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick-or-Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick-or-Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast podcast network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Trick or Treaters Podcast. I, I am your host, Jared Perez. And with me, as always, is Kyle Prescott. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> you, uh, like, you completely stole the intro. That's crazy. I stole the intro and everything because I was as soon as Kyle here recorded, I saw uh, something on my phone. That completely just threw me off guard and got me busting up laughing. I was like, you know what? Let's roll with it because that's how we're gonna start today. Where it's gonna we're recording on Wednesday, June 9th. It's already moving into uh, on your side of the neck of the woods, uh, June 10th. And so let's just go with it. It's anything that can happen, anything can happen Wednesday, like they did in Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh how's your day going, JR? You know, uh, it could be better, but I'm actually more interested in our previous weekends because I feel like we've had we had some very interesting weekend um, from the last time we recorded. So, how was your weekend uh, that just occurred? Which, if I'm doing my time correctly, my head would be like the first weekend in June. Well, uh, I had a great weekend. I went to New South Pro Wrestling in Hartsville, Alabama at the Spartan Civic Center last Saturday. And I got to meet Shark Boy, which my TNA podcast made happen. And it was uh, super fun to, uh, to to see Shark Boy live in person after watching him on TNA and actually getting to meet him. And uh, whenever... The, they come out, I'll post them, but we actually got professional photos with uh, me, Carmen and, and Davis with shark boy. No, I, and I saw some of the candid photos and for those of you who are not familiar with shark boy, shark boy has been a, I feel like an underground legend in professional wrestling. When the first time I saw shark boy, I was approximately 11 years old and he came out on uh, it was the first ever MTV's True True Life. And it was I'm a professional wrestler. They documented um, Triple H, Hunter Humsley, the late China, Joni Lauer, Shark Boy, another wrestler named Rory Fox, um, Les Thatcher, who was training Rory and Shark Boy, and I believe, all, and also Tony Atlas and s- some stuff around wrestling business. Fast forward a couple years later, everybody knows, you know, you, Kyle, you do total nonstop um, the TNA podcast analysis. And so with with Carmen Childers, um, you started knowing Shark Boy. That's when I got a chance to know him when I saw him originally back in, you know, that 2000, early 2000 range when he was part of the TNA X division. And, you know, now it's, like I said, he's no longer, you know, he's still a shark boy, but at the same time, he's not a shark boy because he's a grown man. He's almost, he's, he's almost hitting 50, but 
when if you are from that era of wrestling, seeing Shark Boys, you know, it, it's kind of it is a big deal because he was like I said, he's an underground legend. Yeah, it was it was wonderful, and he was he was super fun to see. Yeah, you know, for me, it was an interesting weekend too because it was the uh, the last leg of the Triple Crown horse racing. Um, it was the Belmont Stakes that happened in New York. I'm a I, I enjoy uh, horse racing, something that I picked up from my father, and I get a chance, to, especially from Triple Crown, which begins the first weekend of May. For the Kentucky Derby, middle of May, which is a Preakness, and then the first weekend in June is the Belmont. I get a chance to talk to my father, and we talk about horses and the, the jockeys and trainers. And unfortunately, I didn't win any money, but they also broke the news that on Saturday, August 21st, from Allegiant Stadium, the home of the Las Vegas Raiders in Las Vegas, Nevada, will be SummerSlam. 2021 and i got a little bit of validation because as you know kyle social media is an echo chamber social media could be crazy hostile and a lot of people you know they see rumors they disbelieve rumors they they can't take things they think ain't nothing's possible and the thing is i've learned that i've tried to educate people on especially since covid occurred going back to you know, for us, really, when everything shut down was around St. Patrick's Day 2020. But if you are international, you know, it was, was going back a few months before that into January, February. Anything anything can happen. And, you know, I was hearing rumors that they were going to do this massive stadium in, in Vegas. You know, everybody's like, oh, it's, you know, they're not going to do that. Why would they do that? And I was like, man, and I said, if first number one. Anything can happen. I said, number two, WWE lost WrestleMania, which is last year in 20, 2020. And it was supposed to be in Tampa. They didn't have WrestleMania. It was a close set. They're going to do whatever it takes to make recruit that money back. And, and in business, there's no such thing as having too much money. So for them, by doing the, a significant stadium show this summer, you basically got your money from WrestleMania in Tampa because they had a two day event in April it, um, that because of social distancing protocols, but they had two days, which basically gave them what they needed. Now you're getting this big stadium show. You're basically having two WrestleManias in one year to recruit that big loss that you occurred last year by not having WrestleMania. And I just got validation because I kept telling people like, it's going to happen and this is what it's doing. And shout out to Andrew Zarian from the Batman podcast. Uh, he was going to throw it out there and nobody believed him. And I, I saw it and I was like, I think this guy's onto something. I think he's right. And he hit two for two. It was going to be on a Saturday. It was going to be in Vegas. And then the third one was that Cardi B is going to perform. And Cardi B is doing the theme for, for SummerSlam. So that's on that. And as far as wrestling, I also did get a chance to, uh, after our previous conversation, we did grave encounters. We talked about the conjuring. I got a chance to go back and I gave, saw conjuring two, saw then the new one that released on HBO max and theaters conjuring the devil made me do it. I gotta say, I, I shouldn't have had such a prejudice towards the conjuring because of a dumb line. I, I did enjoy it. I, I liked the third one. Um, I want to go in and get into the, the universe i'm not a big fan of dolls like i've seen you know dead silence and 
um possessed dolls i think i, I saw the boy i think or the orphan or something like that and it, just, it wasn't for me so I'm, I'm not a big fan of annabelle i as as i mentioned before i am latino so growing up we always heard about la llorona so i'm very interested in the curse of la llorona and i'm also interested in seeing the nun because the nun kind of plays a, a part in this one yeah the, the nun was first introduced in the conjuring 2 and uh uh really really uh interesting character uh i plan on watching the Conjuring Three, the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It uh, later tonight. Uh, I, I, I tried to watch it last night, and I got like through the intro part, and uh, my internet went out, so I had to go to bed. So hopefully, I'm I'm gonna be able to watch it all tonight. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, 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 to segue into that, uh, a little bit of horror news. So we talked about it before on a previous episode that it was a rumor that was going around. Well, it is now 100% official, confirmed by Rob Zombie himself. His next film is The Monsters. I'm not going to lie. I'm trying to stay cautiously optimistic about it, but I'm really fucking excited. How about you, JR? Well, I don't think uh, it's a secret that I really dislike Rob Zombie um, quite a bit for the work he did regarding the Halloween franchise. With I tolerate the re-imaging. Um, I could not stand Halloween 2 and his crazy acid trip hallucination movie that he made. I personally, like, I remember when he first made house of a thousand corpses rob zombie was such a huge name like when i was a kid in the music industry especially with like um the hillbilly deluxe soundtrack uh he did had a song for w superstar edge i'm trying to remember more of his music but it's been 20 years um i think he did uh i think he said i think he did never gonna stop yeah and then you know the hillbud was the hillbud deluxe with soundtrack. I'm trying to remember what the name of the name, but the the living dead girl song. Yeah, hillbilly, um, uh, hillbilly deluxe. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think hillbilly deluxe is a country song by Brooks and Dunn. Now that I think about it, hillbilly deluxe I think is a country song, but hillbilly sounds a lot better. But man, I just you know when House of a Thousand Corpses came out, I was just like, oh, we got to see this, and I saw it. And I was like, I just did not think it was a good movie. I, I just thought it was gore for this, this, this just gore for gore. I feel like it really didn't serve a purpose. Um, I just, it copycatted, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, then he had, you know, I saw, I skipped Devil's Rejects. And then I saw after Halloween and Halloween 2, he came out with another movie that I was like, All right, I'm going to give this one a chance. And it was The Lord, the Lords of Salem. And I just did not like it. I just could not stand it. And I, after that, I kind of shut him out of my life. And, you know, the monsters before my time, but I grew up watching them because I'm sure, you know, TV land and some other um 
you know, some other reruns, you know, syndications with the Munsters. You know, I was a big fan of the Munsters. I just loved the character Herman Munster and, you know, Grandpa and Eddie. And it's just, it's, I just think it's, you know, really cool, especially Herman Munster, because as we know, the guy who played Herman Munster, uh, Fred Gwynn, also was in Pet Cemetery, and my cousin Vinny. But man, I don't know. It's just when you have something that's a classic and you're making it, it's just like Friday the Thirteenth. I think had a good remake. It was pretty good. But then you have, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. We don't talk about that. Which is I've always says funny because I think Cece, you know, who's a big Nightmare fan, loves. Uh, I think loves Rob Zombie's Halloween, and I can't stand it. And I tolerate yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street a lot more than she. Yeah. Than that. Um, yeah, CC uh, likes the Rob Zombie Halloween. But I hate that one, and I tolerate Nightmare, and vice versa. She hates the Nightmare, and yeah. I can't stand. Um, and I, I will say, Jr. Uh, something happened over the weekend that I am very proud of, of you for. And I wish I would have been able to attend it, but I was at the wrestling event. While I was at the wrestling show at New South, UCC and some others was in our Discord server uh, watching Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and CC said you didn't bitch not one time. You know, it's the things you do for your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know this, this last weekend it was uh, – uh, HHN at home. I know how important HHN uh, Halloween Horror Nights is to the Scream Queen, CC and Jess. And I kept hearing about it, you know, how, you know that they're gonna. I kept seeing, you know, tweet about the Halloween three, and I was just like, um, and I was like, well, this is, I, let's, you know, I, if everybody's if we're doing like a watch along, let's do it, and you know, CC hosted a watch along and. And everybody else, you know, everybody had like a group watch alongs. And, you know, it was fun. And the other thing, too, is I had this idea and we're going to do it. And so this was kind of a test run. Next year, you know, at Kyle, for those of you who don't know, Kyle, you know, kind of plans out things months in advance. You know, he gets down, he, he writes things out like, OK, this is what we're going to do for July, August, September. And it's, we're going to October, you know, plan it out. It's true. Our our podcast right now is scheduled out through October. And so Kyle, you know, plans out. I was like, what do you think? And then, you know, I, I put in my input and we come to an agreement and it's there. Um, so next October is the 40th anniversary of Halloween 3 season of The Witch. And everybody knows how obsessed I am with anniversaries as well. So I told Kyle, I told Kyle, I told Cece, I said, next year, I said, marketing your calendars because we're going to do it. We're going to do not a review. We're going to do a crossover where, and like, again, CC's well, because I'm basically telling CC just what they're going to do on their podcast. I said, we're going to do a crossover with Trick or Treaters and Scream Queens. It's going to be a crossover podcast where we do a watch along for Halloween 3 season of The Witch. And it's going to be essentially all alternate, our alternate commentary over. Uh, season of a uh, season of the witch so basically it'll be like all right guys you know press play on three two one 
And then CC, Jess, Kyle, and I were going to do a watch along for the for the 40th anniversary. And and I said this, uh, watch. I actually learned quite a bit from that movie more. Um, like I did not know um, that Annie Brackett. I forget her real name now. She was in Halloween three in the beginning. She has a minor role into it. I I didn't notice that the the a lot of the score is very very similar. Which obviously you know it's the with Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, but very similar to Halloween one and two, just tweaked a little bit. I mean, like I said, it's not that it's a. We don't need to get into it because we're delaying us talking about paranormal activity, which we're talking about. It's just it's a long story. It's a personal issue that I have that. It's basically, if I can sum it up, it's like you're waiting for Christmas, you're waiting for Christmas all year, you get to Christmas, and they're like, all right, here's your present, and you get fucking clothes and no toys. And it's just like, that's how I felt when I saw Halloween 3 for the first time. I was waiting to see this movie that was going to connect Halloween 2 and Halloween 4 with Michael Myers, and I'm fucking waiting and waiting and waiting the whole time to see Michael Myers. You get to the end, and I'm like, Michael Myers isn't in this whole fucking movie. If I would have known, like, one of the things that CeCe said, if I would have known beforehand the whole goal that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had for the Halloween franchise to make it an anthology, then I would have had a different opinion. It's just more that it's a personal it's a personal beef I had due to lack of knowledge. Not on my part. I was only 10. Leave me alone. Maybe 12. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board. They're on board. That, that'll be fun. Uh, moving on, oh, uh, just so oh, they don't have a choice. No one oh, has a choice have... in this. Oh, they have a choice. Okay, okay. DC just okay. when you hear this, you have a choice. We're doing a crossover. I just, uh, I just think the whole concept is cool. Doing a watch along for the, you know, I'm maybe we'll do a watch along before that. If not, it'll be for the first time. Do a watch along. Do a crossover because you hear all the time, you know, Law and Order crossover. SVU is going to Criminal Ten. Or then they had Chicago Fire and Chicago Med. So you hear about the cross song. It's like so. It's like we're gonna be on their show, but then they're gonna be on our show, and then we uploaded. You know, it's like yeah. And I told CC, I said the good thing about it is that by doing this crossover, is that if we had listeners who only listens to us and doesn't listen to you, and vice and then vice versa, they only listen to you but not listen to us. By us having the crossover show, we may be able to introduce new listeners to one another's shows. Yeah. It's a great idea. I love it. Uh, moving on. Uh, so just today, uh, I just watched it. It's 15 seconds. Uh, a small teaser for the, the Chucky TV series just dropped. And it, it that's coming out on Sci-Fi. It's coming out this fall on Sci-Fi. And Brad Dorff and Jennifer Tilly are all back. And they're continuing this the storyline of the movies. Man, you know, some I saw a picture of one of my friends tweet, put it on their Facebook, and it was Jennifer Tilly. Um, you know, when she did Bride of Chucky, and it's like, man, dude, Jennifer Tilly, I just don't think, you know, we talk about Scream Queens, um, you know, and we love, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and um, Heather Camp, you know, um, Help Me. Uh, Jamie Lloyd from Halloween. Daniel um, Harris, my, my screen queen. Yeah. So, I mean, but man, I was like, man, I just, 
I don't, when I saw this picture of Jennifer Tillman and realized how much, you know, her being a part of the, the child's play franchise, I was like, man, I don't think she gets enough attention. Yeah, she, she, she really don't. She's not talked about as much as the others. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I think probably because Cena Chucky was, which uh, kind of funny today. I saw uh, sci-fi was doing, a. I think it was sci-fi. I think it was official. They're doing a, a child's play, you know, franchise uh, for, you know, marathon. And like, it was a, Cedar Chucky was like beginning it and Cedar Chucky was going to end it. Um, I believe it was, it was called um, the pride of Chucky marathon because one of the, one of the, that's not talked about is the character of, um, their see Chucky, their child of Chucky, and and um, I can't think of Jared Fertility's name. Tiffany. Tiffany. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, they you know has a child Glenn Glenda. As there's talk about that as far as being a part of the LGBTQ and the representation of it in the in um, seat of Chucky. I'm not sure. Were you familiar with that? Because I, I just kind of started hearing this narrative recently like in the last month about Glenn and Glenn and Cedar Chucky. Uh, sort of. I, 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 I didn't quite... Uh, I, 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 I guess the first time I watched Cedar Chucky, which I haven't seen Cedar Chucky in forever, the first time I watched Cedar Chucky, I didn't pick up on it. But now, looking back, now that I know what I know now, it, uh, I see it now. And so... um. Yeah, they were doing, and like I said, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, and I'm I'm trying to look it up, um, as we're speaking, that it says today's sci-fi marathon was going to be a, a basically all an all child's play marathon, but it was called um, Pride of Chucky, and there were literally was going to be Child's Play two, three, Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, Curse, Colt, Child's Play two, Child's Play three, Bride, and then finish it off with Seed, um today on uh sci-fi and so um that's probably again when when the that that trailer dropped that sneak peek and i was like i've been looking in for because i'm a big fan of chucky and child's play so i'm looking you know forward to when it comes out i'm trying on twitter i'm trying to find the the leaked footage as we're talking or the of it because i'm interested Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it. Uh, uh, another thing, uh, this I just came across this a couple of days ago. I believe it's it's Blumhouse uh, and Sony Pictures are doing a reboot of Christine. That that's not something I'm familiar with. I don't. I don't um... <laughs> you know, the, the Stephen King story movie book about about the the killer car no that is not a cbq wow. novel i'm familiar with i know about oh, Cujo. yeah i know about thinner um you don't know about Cemetery. christine man no shame 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 jr <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get familiar with that bro <laughs> um a killer call a killer car yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a possessed car that that, that kills people 
let me rephrase that. I know that there was a movie that came out, but I've never seen it, so I don't know. Yeah, it's called Christine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's getting a reboot, and I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I think it's it's a movie that's this long overdue to be remade, and maybe with the right people, which I I think Blumhouse could do justice with for it. You know, and that's one of the things that um, that we've talked about before is some of the older movies. I don't think things that are cult classics or things that were seen as being maybe ahead of their time didn't get the accolades it was deserved at the time. Um, maybe they see like there was some good in it, but there wasn't enough, you know, in the budget to give it like a really, you know, a, a bigger um make it a bigger presence in the film industry as it should have so if if that's the case like i said i haven't seen it um but it's definitely i would i'm a part of getting those remake um because i know from what i'm reading that it was it's considered a cult, a cult classic um so that'd be definitely something to look into i know like some of the ones like it's just it's tough because when you have a film that people love like this is um i i hadn't seen the remake or but like pet cemetery a lot of people enjoy the the original one they said you know the, the remake just didn't hit it's like there's certain aspects of that original that's not gonna be in, into it. it's like even if it's just as basic as the actors well the actors bring something to that role that is not gonna be able to be duplicated in the remake and it's like, you know, they, we always, and I just mentioned it, and, you know, when we talk about Nightmare, you cannot duplicate Robert England as Freddy Krueger in a remake because what people love about Freddy Krueger is that it's what Robert England brings to that character. And so if that's, you know, when you, anytime you do a remake, that's the hard part is figuring out what can you do that's going to make people enjoy this film. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, moving on, uh, that's all the news we have. We do have, uh, like I said, we started this, uh, we debuted this segment last week and we're continuing this week as well. And from so on, so on, we have, uh, listener questions submitted by, by our listeners on Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to ask us a question to answer, uh, on the show, uh, hit us up on Twitter at trick or treat pod and, uh, You'll see a post where we post uh, uh, we post during the week uh, asking people for questions and just submit your question there there below and we'll answer it on the on the show. So this week we have two questions. One, the first question comes from uh, one of my friends uh, one of my friends Hunter, who you may know on Twitter as Hunter versus Evil Dead. Uh, Hunter asks us. If we were a ghost and could only haunt one movie family, which family would you haunt? Bonus points if you can work with the ghost or demon that's already there. I'll let you take this first one, JR. Okay, hold on. I need you that read that to me one more time. All right. If you were a ghost and could only haunt one movie family, what movie family would you haunt? Bonus points if you can work with the ghost slash demon that's already there. A movie family. 
See, this is why I'd like you to give me these questions ahead of time so I can already have a thought and not have me sitting here for 20 minutes trying to come up with an answer. Um, I'm more familiar with TV shows. Off, like right now, like I'm getting nothing but TV shows like Full House and Family Matters and Boy <laughs> World. Yeah, so it's coming to my mind. I'm trying to get it out. It's like, give me... Give me a give me a family um give me a family like even a family movie um hmm. Kyle I'm, I'm gonna have to defer to you so I can come up so uh, I can figure uh, something else I uh, I I see uh hmm well I'm gonna go for bonus points I'm gonna go I'm gonna work with the ghost with the demon that's already there uh. Uh, I'm gonna help out the demon in, in the Amityville Horror uh, house. I, I, we're, we're just gonna double team that family and cause them to move out quicker than anything. <laughs> we're gonna cause so much mayhem for that family that they already that they already have. Man, you know the only thing that's coming to my mind because they just like I see them and just they deserve like a really good haunting. Is the 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 parents in Beetlejuice? Oh yeah, because man, just that like the dad and the mom was just a giant pain, and just like you could tell they're kind of like snobbish. Um, oh, I actually know. I'll give a better one. Fucking Home Alone. Everybody except Kevin. Everybody in that family needs to be haunted, especially Buzz. <laughs> That had be hilarious because then you because then maybe, you I was gonna say maybe we can figure out what what the hell the family does to make to make uh to make all that money to send everybody to France right that that's hilarious because uh that would be hilarious because you'd have Kevin you know wondering why the hell everybody's freaking out because everybody else is getting haunted but him <laughs> oh and then the uncle too. The, yeah, um, the hundreds. God, because he was yeah. such a Oh yeah, he was. Thank you for the question, Hunter. That was a wonderful question. Uh, next, we have uh, our question comes from James Shannon. James Shannon Morant, and James asks, "What do you think about the new Evil Dead movie, and which one is your favorite?" Uh. I'm excited about the new Evil Dead movie. Talking about Evil Dead Rises, uh, it just began filming recently. I'm super stoked for it. Uh, Bruce Campbell's uh, uh, is involved with it, and so is Sam Raimi. I mean, you can't go wrong with them two being involved with it. I, 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 I really loved the Evil Dead remake as well, but I'm, I'm super excited to see Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi back for for Evil Dead Rises. I think it's going to be great, and. My favorite, ooh, I'm uh, I'm gonna have to go Evil Dead too. That 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 one is just a gem to me. Um, I'm I'm glad that you brought up Evil Dead Rise because I was a little bit I didn't know if the, if was mentioning the 2013 remake or if it was mentioning the new one coming out. I mean, in general, and just to echo your sentiments, I love Bruce Campbell. Um, 
I mean, I'll say my favorite. My favorite is Army of Darkness, just because I feel we got so much of that comedic Bruce Campbell, and I, you know, working with the, you know, everything from going on the journey to get the Necronomicon, him getting the the souped up vehicle to go after the Deadites. Um, I just, I really enjoyed Army of Darkness, and I mean, it's not so much into horror as it is to comedy, but I mean, I think it's probably my favorite. It's up there with Trimmers being like one of my favorite, like um the comedic horror type film and so with that said like evil dead rise bring in bringing back you know bruce campbell and sam raimi teaming up together i just i really enjoyed the tv series and i think if, if it's on that similar sentiments maybe even a little bit even a little bit darker i think it's it's going to be a great movie if uh, I'll say with the remake, the remake of Evil Dead is something that I think is a very successful remake. I think because part of it is maybe the characters in the original wasn't that significant. When you look at the original Evil Dead, um, there were just random teenagers. And I think in the remake, it really they brought on the gore, but it was like it was very intentional, the type of gore that they used. And I thought it was also a little bit uh demented a little bit i mean to me the worst scene was when the girl cuts her face with the shard off uh piece of the mirror i was just like oh that was gruesome like i i thought it was a very good remake oh yeah i couldn't agree more it's a wonderful remake one of the one of the best re- horror remakes i've seen in recent time I mean, honestly, when you if you stack up some of those like those series that did the remakes, well, you know, Halloween, Nightmare, Friday, Ch- uh, Child's Play, you know, Evil. I think Evil Dead is the best out of all of them. You know, there's I'm sure there's one that you know I may be leaving off, but any of the you know Pet Cemetery is one I mentioned earlier that had a remake. But um, I just I think that's probably I think it's probably the best horror remake. Um, that that's come out um, at least in the last you know fifteen years, which is when this whole genre started. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, the, uh, thank you, uh, James, for the for the question. And uh, like I said to anybody listening before, uh, if you'd like to submit us a question, just uh, submit us on Twitter at Trick or Treat Pod. You know, I, I had a question, Kyle, that I wanted to throw your way. Uh-oh. Yeah, because I was thinking about today, and it's like, I can't, you know, I don't want to, like, I want to ask a question, but I don't want to, like, tweet and be like, oh, look, I got a question. I was thinking about this. That would be today. hilarious if you would have done that. <laughs> um, What two movies, horror, like, horror icons, would you like to see in a crossover film in the same sentiment as Freddy versus Jason. Oh, uh probably give me uh give me Leatherface and Michael. I think that'd be a fun fight. That would be very intriguing to me. It would um, be uh, the one that I had thought about was 
there was a it was an a concept and maybe one day it could happen um probably not though because one of the characters is getting older or actually the two characters are a lot older now um but they came out with the graphic novel and they turned Freddy versus Jason into a triple threat match and and added Ash Williams into it so it's Freddy versus Jason versus Ash and in the graphic novel basically what it was is that similar to the beginning of Freddy versus Jason you know Freddy needed something from Jason that was to get the Necronomicon that's what basically leads Jason to Ash because Ash thinks he's a deadite you know trying to get the Necronomicon eventually it falls into you know Jason gets a hold of it Freddy uses the power to come into reality and then they get into basically a three-way battle. Um, I thought it's very intriguing. I thought, especially if you look at the Robert England version of Freddy Krueger and his wit and to match that up with Ash, Ash, you know, humor and then you have the monster of Jason, I think would be a very interesting film. 100 um, especially if you so, get kane to play jason oh yeah gotta have, kane, gotta have kane said, it's unfortunately it's one of those ones where you know everybody's older so the likelihood of happening is slim to none uh and i think slim already left the left the city but the other one too that would be insane um i don't want to use michael because when you use it and two i would be like michael versus anybody would be great but it would be uh chucky and Leprechaun. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would like to see that just for the one-liners alone. Exactly. The dialogue would be perfect between them two. But, yeah, thanks, everybody, for the questions. Uh, like I said, send us a question at Trick or Treat Pod on Twitter. Well, uh, Jar, uh, what do you say we get into as our friends, uh, this uh, the Silver Screen show uh, says – get into the meat and potatoes of this episode we are talking about paranormal activity from 2009 uh before we get into it just a little some little tidbits so to say this movie is successful would be an understatement uh this movie was produced on a budget of fifteen thousand dollars and so far, it has made $193.4 million. That's a hell of a profit. And one of the things is, when you look at this film, based on return on investment, it is the most profitable film ever made. Um, one of the things that, I, I from my, I kind of got some word from people in Hollywood, is that there is, there's big budget, there's low budget. There's no budget. Anything pretty much underneath two million, from my understanding, is considered like no budget. Fifteen thousand dollars is definitely no budget. So I mean, this was done on a extremely tight shoestring budget, where you basically they're paying just for the film and probably props. Yeah, and I mean it's it's so successful that Jason Blum was able to start Blumhouse Productions because of this, which you know has gone on to be a, one of the best uh, 
mm-hmm. one of the best production companies in in the film in the film industry, especially horror currently. I mean, uh, they they did the Halloween remake, and they've just done so many other great films. Oh, I mean, yeah, they had um, just quickly looking up. They had you mentioned Halloween. They produced Unfriended. They produced uh, Purge Election Year, Insidious. Um, they have been part of the Belco experiment. Um, their their hands are pretty deep in the horror genre. And if you listen, you know, obviously if you listen to us, you know that we love horror. But if you ask anybody who knows anything about horror, they will tell you what Blumhouse is doing for in the horror industry today is I, in my opinion is what dimension films try to do. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and they just really just, they took a very, you know, deep dive into it. And they're like, we want to make horror and we want to do it to the best of our abilities. And we want to produce, produce films that people are even proud of. Yeah. Uh, What's it? Uh, it's, I, I don't know if you saw this in theaters like I did, but like the the marketing for this movie was really interesting. I remember seeing ads on like social media sites and stuff where where and and uh, I think uh, I think uh, I don't know if YouTube wasn't necessarily YouTube. YouTube wasn't really that big back then, but. Uh, it was like all over the internet. There was these ads that had like it show like little uh, night vision uh, scenes from p- uh, movie screenings, and it shows all these people like getting so scared and like and all you know saying stuff like you know this terrifying movie, you know. But it was but the interesting part was that it wasn't like just played in all theaters. You had to demand it in your city in order to get it to play. And uh, I was lucky enough to see it in theaters. Uh, uh, my little small town somehow got it in our our little our little small theater, and I, I, I went and saw it. And I, I'll tell you the forever, for a while, the because the way the movie is filmed, there's no opening credits and there's no ending credits. There's only a couple people in the film, and uh, apparently when the film premiered, when it first premiered the actors weren't there at the premiere to make it appear as if, you know, something did happen to them. Uh, I actually thought that maybe this was real footage for, for a little bit. Yeah. Well, the one thing about, I remember going over those advertisements, seeing them and it was kind of like, they wanted you, the way it was kind of portrayed was like this film is just too scary. And so it was kind of like, in you know, that, that intriguingness, like, what do you mean this film is like just too scary? Like, cause everybody like with that, that type of um, like night camera scene into the, the movie theaters, it was like, everybody was like freaking out. And so it was just like, you, I just never saw that as far as like advertisements is like actually seen into a movie theater as the film was being shown. You saw things like people were saying, oh my God, that was the best movie of the year. You need to come watch it. But you never actually saw like, you know, actual footage of people seeing the film and their expressions. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think that was honestly one of the things that really made me want to go see the movie was was the advertisements of seeing this. You have to demand it in your theater. This is the scariest movie and seeing all these people terrified in the theater. It made me want to go see it, honestly. And now I, now, now I appreciate it for, for, for what it is and enjoy it a lot more. But back then when I was you know an edgy, edgy teen, uh, I didn't think it was that scary at all. And was kind of let down, and honestly, I pretty much was joking throughout the whole movie because I, you know, I didn't appreciate horror for for what it was back then. I was a fan of it, but you know, I was I was in my edgy teenager phase. <laughs> uh, the, the the entire movie was filmed in ten days, and it was filmed in the director Oren Pelly's uh, own home, and according to uh, IMDb. The, he actually spent a year remodeling his house uh, before they started filming to make it look like better. And he actually filmed the entire movie on a home digital camera. Yeah, I mean, and that was one of the things that's interesting uh, as we get into this film is the creativity that they did in developing these shots with the home camera is ingenious. And I think it potentially got people to be like, I could do that. That's easy. All he did was just put a mount a camera in his room. It's like, no, you really can't. I mean, what he what they did with the type of you know, some of the practical effects they use and the dialogue they created and the environment they created is really unique. And that that camera and the angles they use and the and the way they they used it is I mean I really feel that they were geniuses in doing it. Yeah, and like what's great is that with how the Blair Witch Project, you know, was kind of the beginnings of found footage and started started a found footage craze that kind of slowly died down. Paranormal activity seemed to invigorate it and and bring it back because there was a lot of found footage movies after this movie dropped and as because of because of how successful it was, I mean, it was filmed for fifteen thousand dollars and in its first week alone in the U.S., it uh, it grossed nine point one million dollars, which breaks the record for the highest grossing weekend for a movie playing at less than two hundred theaters. Well, and the other thing, too, is with this found footage film, I felt there was a lot of still shots, like it, the camera was positioned. And that was one of the things that drove me crazy, like as we watched Grave Encounters, is that it was handheld footage. And I felt with this one, especially, I mean, obviously, especially when they were sleeping at night, it was just, it was a still shots. And that just to me made the film a lot more enjoyable than seeing somebody with that look like that a handheld cell phone like just moving and going up and down is just that was driving me crazy yeah and uh according to the trivia uh steven spielberg himself actually convinced the uh convinced the filmmakers to change the original ending because the original ending uh, like there's three different endings on the dvd and there's the one you see, and then there is the original ending, and then there's an alternate ending. And apparently, 
Steven Spielberg convinced him to change the to the theatrical ending that you see when you watch the movie over the original. Well, I looked in and I looked up this the alternative endings, and I will definitely say that the ending they chose was the the proper ending because um maybe what he saw into it was that this is something that could become more than just one that this could become a franchise and yeah. the alternate endings essentially was going to be um a definitive ending yeah and um that was um by having that definitive ending it's like great that was a great movie it's never gonna come up and that was the other thing is like we're not covering it but one of the things i enjoyed when i even saw paranormal activity 2 was the it continued that same story i think when you start going into sequels um for example let's say final destination when you there's some of that can like the concept is connected, but their characters are not. And that kind of creates that disconnect where it makes you feel like you're not buying into it. And I think by having that, leaving it the way they did and saying this could be a sequel, but then having them connected as, as the characters, I think is what kept people um, at least for the next film um, got them to come back. But if they would have just like if they would have went with the any one of the alternative endings, it was like I, I mean it would have been fine. I mean, don't get me, I still think it would have been enjoyable. I think people would have liked it, but you you literally put a nail in the coffin with either one of those endings. Oh yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, one of the things I really like is that the characters keep their real life names, and Katie Featherson and Maka uh, Sloat, who plays you know Katie and Maka. The, the main characters of the movie, uh, they apparently received only a reported $500 for their performances, but due to the success of the film, they renegotiated the amount, which I'm glad they did because $500 for a film that has made over a hundred million. <laughs> I mean, not just a hundred. I mean, it was close to $200 million. I mean, yeah, that would have been I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what, you know, the this film was, you know, it was produced by Blumhouse and then it was acquired by a Paramount for the U.S. rights for approximately $350,000. And so that, you know, even with that and even if they even if they said, guess what, we're going to pay each of, you know, Micah and um I'm blanking out. Uh, Micah and Katie, and there was three other characters. Let's say the five of you. We're gonna pay each of you guys a million dollars. We just thank you for everything. Is a million dollars? Go on. You. They, they, it's they still had a. They were still in the positive by approximately 188 million dollars. Like that's how amazing they did. Yeah, I, I will say though. I, I really don't want to admit this. Having them use their real names. I'm not going to lie, it really threw me off because I was like, maybe this is real. 
right? The, the, that's and the fact that they didn't have any credits. That's when I first saw it in theaters, and I noticed that there was no opening credits. I was like, "Wait a minute, huh? This, there's no credits. Is this it's, is this real?" Well, and I think that was the thing with this film, what because of their lack of budget, and they you know trying to make something that was really unique. I actually let me I'll add this over. I was actually when I was doing the research, I was listening and I shout out because I I love him to death. I always anytime I get a chance to view his stuff. Uh, James A. Janice, he had a podcast, him, and I can't remember her name. It, it was one of his, somebody close to him. They were doing a podcast in front of activity. They were talking about film school. And they said their film project had a budget of about $10,000. So what the, the budget for this film is equivalent to essentially what they were using in, you know, in, you know, for film school, you know, film, you know, student films made. I don't know how they got the ten thousand dollars because I was a broke college kid. So if you asked me for ten thousand dollars, I'd be like, good luck. But you know, that's how much the projects were. So you know, very shooting budget, but they had to create a story that enticed people and got people to believe. And one of the things that, that I like this one a lot better by far than Grave Encounters was they wanted to be believable and as realistic as possible. And you hear the stories of ghosts, haunted houses. Growing up, my aunt, I remember telling me that my, you know, this house was haunted by its previous owner. And she's telling me, you know, there was some instance that occurred where like that would suggest that there is a ghost, a paranormal being in this house and when you are seeing this film and you see the things that occur especially i would say all the way through the ending you're just like man like this this is real because nothing that happened is out of the ordinary if, if you really think of like when we go through the film get through it but everything that happened isn't something that's like it's not impossible it's not something that you know how many times do people hear bumps in the night you know they hear a door close they 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 hear they hear a noise i said these are things you grow like growing up i mean doesn't everybody have a ghost story in their family and like i said i just gave you mine i mean that was what made it believable i was like man i remember my aunt told me that story i said i think this is true i said that the especially as the rise of, of social media and the rise of cameras like you know you know your camera phone and stuff like that. Everybody wants to document everything, you know, GoPros. It's like, all right, you know what? I was hearing noises. I don't want to think I'm crazy. I'm going to set up a camera that we, that records this woman at night to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's a very believable movie. I can see why myself and others thought it was real when we first saw it. Uh, you know, what a hell of a movie. This was Owen, uh, the director's, uh, the director, uh, Orrin Pelly's directorial debut at that. Like, what a way to to start your your directing career. Uh, but yeah, there's just little little fun bits here and there about the movie before we get into it. But uh, that being said, uh, well, we're gonna get straight into it. Uh, we're talking about 2009's Paranormal Activity. Hit the trailer. 
high def camera on my girlfriend Katie. She thinks there's something in the house. I don't know. You believe me, right? I think we're gonna have a very interesting time capturing whatever paranormal phenomena is occurring or is not occurring. Windows are locked. Doors are locked. Alarm is on. Hearing a weird sound. Something's here. I feel it breathing on me. Footsteps in, but there's no footsteps out. Oh, God. Oh, my God. If you do try to play games with it, that's inviting it in. Jeez, looks like something big you. It's not the house, it's me. You cannot run from this, it will follow you. In control. And you're not in control. What's happening to me? This thing left a message. If it's not a ghost, what is it? All right, so. Paranormal Activity was first released, uh, well, it has two releases. Uh, it was released October 14th, 2007 at Scream Fest, uh, and that was just, you know, for a little festival appearance. Then it was released uh, United States in theaters September 25th, 2009. Like I said before, budget of 15000 made a box office total of $193.4 million. It was, you know, produced by Blumhouse Blumhouse Productions, directed by by Oren Pelly, uh, produced by Jason Blum, and it stars, you know, Katie Featherston and it, and Micah Slope, and it has a runtime of eighty six minutes. And we're gonna get straight into it. So it's two thousand six, and Katie. And her boyfriend, Micah, are a young couple who recently moved into a, toy, a, a two-story house in suburban San Diego. Katie claims that a ghostly present has haunted her since childhood and believes that it has followed her to their new home. So, opening up, you know, we we see Katie, Katie supposedly has this ghostly presence that's following her. So, Micah, being the wonderful boyfriend he is, and by the way, Micah is a fucking asshole I'm, he deserved every bad thing that happened to him in this movie uh, he uh, he bought a, a camera and he is going to pretty much film everything and try and catch you know evidence of it because Mike is Mike is very skeptical about this but he's also likes to mock everything that's going on if you're ever getting, you know, haunted by ghosts or, you know, especially a demon, it's, it's not good to mock them. You definitely should be mocking them. Well, I mean, I think the one thing is with this that's also believable is because you know people like that. You know people who don't believe in, um, they don't believe in ghosts. They don't believe in, you know, I think part of it is you have people that don't believe in the afterlife um, or they don't think that ghosts occur. They don't think that the spirits linger among the living. Um, 
they're very jaded. I mean, that could be for a number of reasons, the way they grew up, um, you know, never seeing or hearing things. So when they grow up, it's like, oh, I think there's a ghost. And be like, dude, get out of here with that nonsense. That's just fiction. Like, none of that's real. And so, and like I said, we've all encountered somebody that, that is that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these people, like, they act like, you know, and, for, and that's something I read was that they weren't, apparently weren't given any kind of scripts they were basically just given like a rundown of what to do and it was mostly just you know them improving the movie and i mean this it was great too because it's like it really helps uh because it 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 makes it more believable and they act like real people in real situations but so so you know micah he's got this camera and he's setting up a camera every night and he's recording everything trying to catch any kind of paranormal activity that may occur. Huh? I said the name of the movie. Uh, the first night, they really don't get much of anything. They catch like some footstep noises uh, here and there, which, I mean, that's just basics of you, any old house or anything like that. You hear stuff, so it's really not much at all. Katie ends up hiring the psychic uh, Dr. Fredericks, who is played by Mark Fredericks. See, I, I love that they use their real names. Uh, he and he assesses that she is not being hunted by a ghost, but by a demon. And he says that the demon feeds off negative energy and his intent is to haunt and torment Katie no matter where she goes. He advises them to not taunt or communicate with the demon. Listen to him. Do not taunt or try and communicate with him, Micah. Micah is an asshole who does not listen. And he advises them to end up to instead come contact a demonologist, Dr. Uh, Hone Avery's for help. Katie seems interested and, you know, is wanting to contact the demonologist and stuff, but Micah doesn't take it seriously. And that you'll see that as a on, on current thing throughout the movie. Micah, he, you know, Micah's an asshole. He, he's, he's mocking everything. He's skeptical. He doesn't take anything seriously. Katie constantly tells him, over and over again what she doesn't want him to do and he does it anyway so like I said at first the camera captures very uh, captures like a, couple, a little bit of supernatural phenomenon which is kind of minor at first there's just such just minor things like bedroom door moving by itself uh, during night three, during night five, though, Katie wakes up from a nightmare and uh, she reveals that something was whispering to her in her sleep. Well, Micah begins to taunt the demon and everything kind of gets worsens. During night 13, they're woken, uh, awoken by an otherworldly screech and a loud thud. Dude, this, this part was fucking insane because there's just like this demonic screech out of nowhere 
in the middle of the night. And uh, they end up going downstairs to investigate, you know, the sound. And they find that the chandelier is moving by itself. Oof. So on night 15, it's night 15 now, Katie awakens and she kind of spends several hours standing by the bed. She's just kind of staring at Micah while he's sleeping. And before she get in, uh, she ends up going outside after she stares at Micah, and she just sits on the backyard swing. Micah awakens, realizes that you know she's not there, and he's looking for her, and uh, he ends up going outside and finding her, and he convinces her to come back inside. Well, he tries to convince her to come back inside, but she ends up refusing. Her voice is, seems very detached. And uh, Maka, so Maka goes inside to get her a blanket. He finds that the TV is turned on in the bedroom. And he is then uh, startled by Katie, who has followed him inside. But she says that she just woke up and she doesn't remember anything the very next day. You know, one of the things I want to say is one of the things I really enjoyed um, and it's just something that's very subtle but I think it, it's important to this is the timestamps on the footage especially at night where you see on there like as you know also to be like you know one in the morning and then all of a sudden you see like it kind of going you know fast forward jumps ahead but when it jumps ahead for the most time that timestamp, you see it just basically like it's fast forwarding. So it's not like a cut edit. You actually see things happening just, you know, at a faster pace. For the most part, there's some times where you see like it says, you know, they'll do a, a cut, uh, edit cut and then it jumps ahead an hour. But um, I just think that's like a really cool because it, it shows that you're seeing them throughout the duration of the night and how things are happening during that part. I think that's you know, like I said, it's very subtle, but I think it's important to the film. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it while it it advances the film, it still gives a real aspect to it. Like you know, this is this is like we're watching video camera footage. It's also noted, uh, fun to note that I'm sure you caught on too. Most of the activity uh, occurs between the hours of two and three thirty, which is considered in the paranormal world dead time which is supposed to be when ghosts and demons and stuff like that are supposed to be the most active so so you know Katie doesn't remember anything the very next day at all so it's very clear that something's going on uh, so something's going on here but they just don't know exactly how how to go about it well like I said earlier, Dr. Fredericks told them, you know, not to try and communicate with him or with, with, with the entity. Well, Micah, the wonderful boyfriend he is who listens to his girlfriend and doesn't do anything against her wishes, brings home a Ouija board. Really fucking smart idea right there, Micah. And, you know, she, Katie gets really pissed off at him that he brought the, the Ouija board and brought it in. I mean, I, I agree that that's one thing 
I'm I'm a big fan of paranormal stuff. Like uh, uh, I've never had a paranormal experience myself. I, I would love to. I'll go with my friends to like supposed haunted places and go on ghost hunts and stuff. And like that's all fun and games. I will not fuck with Ouija boards. If I even like my mom's uh, a big fan of Ouija boards uh, and stuff, and she has uh, she she has one. She's wanted to use it, but I told her I wouldn't be there if she did. I'd, I will not go around that stuff. That that stuff's too real to me. Uh, that's too that's stuff that you shouldn't be fucking with, in my opinion. Yeah, one of the things I've always said is don't tempt fate. Or don't mess with forces that you don't truly understand. So it's like, don't... You know, it's like, for me, it's like, you know... Don't go to the Grand Canyon and be like, let me just like lean off the edge and see if you know I'll fall. It's like you don't mess with fate. And then the other thing is like when you things like tarot cards, psychics, Ouija boards, um, you know, people really don't understand all that. And it's it's better to be left in the dark about it and leave it alone. Because you may not like what's on the other side of it. Oh, yeah. This, you definitely, especially, won't like what's on the other side of it, probably. Uh, and and thing is, with Ouija boards, it's like, you know, when you use them, they seem, it seems tempting to use because, you know, you want to communicate with, like, you know, somebody. But these things can trick you because you can think you're talking to who you think you are but it's really a demon that's just you know screwing with you to to try and to try and trick you into letting them let them in further do you remember the ouija board commercials from the 90s i do not back in the 90s when you know because it was basically sold as a like basically it's basically you can buy these at at like stores I'm actually, uh, I'm trying to go. I uh, looked it up right now. You can go right now, Amazon, eighteen fifty nine. You can get a Ouija board. And so, when the way it was basically, it was like the Ouija board was, you know, it was the Ouija board itself, and then you see, you know, hands on the what would you call it, like a dial or an arrow. I know it's basically an arrow, but I, I, uh, I don't know what you were. It has a it has a Pacific name. One second, I'll look that up real quick. Uh, long story short, it basically looks like a like a giant guitar pick, and it has in the middle there's a hole which which is for you to zero in on the letter or number or yes or no answer. And so it basically would be like you. So you see the the Ouija board itself you see you know a few hands on it they'd be like quit moving it I'm not moving it who's moving it and then that's like that was the commercial like if you google it if you go to YouTube and type in Ouija board commercial I'm sure you'll find it but I mean the advertising of it was like like I said as a kid you saw it I mean it was there I remember you know it'd be on I think you'd see it during like Nickelodeon like uh, like Legends of the Hidden Temple as an ad. Yeah, it's a it's a planket. 
that's what it's called. But yeah, that that's really creepy that they would put that in a commercial. Who's moving no, I, it? right now? Go go to a Ouija board ad, and there's one from 1991 that was uploaded nine years ago by a like Colin Jones, and it's about it's asking you know basic questions like, will I ever be taught to slam a dog? Will my parents let me go to a concert? You know, those are some of the questions that, you know, that I mean, literally I'm reading them as I pulled up the commercial for it. It's a 16-second sec, commercial, but it was sold as a toy to kids. Yeah, it, it, it's still <laughs> technically sold as a toy. I mean, I think it's still technically considered a, a, a game that you can buy, even though it's not a game you should be playing. Uh, so, you know, so Micah brought home the Ouija board. Katie's pissed at him. Uh, you know, good for her. She should be. Uh, the fucking dumbass should have brought it on. Should have brought it uh, home. But uh, they end up deciding that they're going to go out that evening, and so they leave the Ouija. The Ouija board's kind of left on on this table, and they go out of the house. Out of the house, and the the curtains and the plants that's in the living room start to blow around, and then the Ouija board's blanket moves on its own. And it, it's doing something. It's like moving around on the board, and all of a sudden, a, a fire just erupts on the board out of nowhere, and it actually extinguishes itself before Katie and Micah get back home. And uh, the, you know, the, they see that something has happened. They see that the board has ended up uh, left and leaving them an unrecognizable uh, message. And, you know, Maka figures, uh, tries to figure out the message, but he can't read it. On night 17. I, I got to say one thing about that, though, that scene. I, I literally just saw that scene again right now. I pulled it up um, on YouTube. Somebody show me how that fire got started. Because yeah. literally that table is in the middle of a living room. And there's nothing like it, you know, it's like a coffee table. There's, it doesn't look like there's any hidden sides. And all of a sudden on the edge of the Ouija board on the right side, all of a sudden you just see flames just come up on its own. I mean, some of these things, whatever they did, like I said, I, it just, it's so impressive. To me, it's impressive because I look at it and I seen that, I saw it twice in a row. I'm like, how did this fire start? Somebody show me how this fire started. Because it looks like it was just done out of thin air. Yeah, according apparently, like most of, most of the effects in the movie w was done in camera as well, which is really fucking impressive. So on a not seventeen, uh, Maka ends up sprinkling powder in the hallway because they they keep getting woken by noises, and so Katie lets him put powder down because. He keeps going on and on about he wants to try this, and so she finally lets him do it. And they end up finding footprints leading to the bedroom from the attic. And they go and investigate. Honestly, if I put powder down after I've been awoken by noises and I've been dealing with all this crazy shit going on in the house this entire time... And I woken up and I found footprints in the powder leading from the room to the attic. I would not be going in the fucking attic. 
Honestly, I wouldn't even put down powder. I'd probably put down a bear trap. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, my ass would have been out of here already. I don't even care. I mean, I said it earlier. Don't don't tempt fate. Don't mess with forces that you don't have an understanding. So, if you think somebody's waking you up, let me put it this way: if you see footprints, you're probably gonna not like the fact that you have footprints because you're not gonna like what the what is the like what is going to come after that because it either means somebody's breaking into your house or you're dealing with the spirit two things that you're probably not going to have a good handle on yeah definitely i would much rather deal with somebody breaking into my house than a spirit to be honest uh but yeah like i said i'd already been out of the fucking house as soon as the ouija board fire thing happened i've been out like whatever selling this bitch uh i'll live somewhere else until it sells uh, uh, so Micah goes and he investigates in the attic and he ends up finding a burnt photograph of young Katie which was supposed to have been previously destroyed in an unexplained house fire I'm sorry if you're finding old photos of your girlfriend in the house that you'll just moved into. Would you not be freaked out? <laughs> It'd be a little, I mean, th if this is enough to get you out of the house, I don't know what is. Uh, so the next night, a light turns on and off it and the bedroom door ends up slamming shut. The, the loud banging it causes is heard and something is apparently trying to get in they discover that the glass over a photo of them uh, has been smashed with Maka's image scratched something doesn't like Maka and it's not just me <laughs> uh, well because Michael's been fucking with them throughout the whole movie yeah. and it's just like at this point, I probably would have taken that powder and write in big letters, you know, I'm sorry, please, I beg for your forgiveness. I'm sorry, beg for your forgiveness. Fuck Micah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That, I mean, that's what I would have wrote. Like, if I was Micah, like, after he broke with the thing, I would probably would have put take that powder or put a big sign that says, please, I'm sorry, leave us alone. Yeah. Uh so, you know, Micah's image has been scratched uh, and the glass has been broken over their pictures. Uh, Dr. Avery's, who's the demonologist, he's on, he's abroad. Uh, he is gone when Micah finally agrees to, in, to invite him over. He, so Micah's finally on board. We'll call him demonologist. So since uh, Avery's isn't around, Dr. Fredericks comes instead. Well... As soon as he gets in, Dr. Fredericks immediately has a sense of dread. He uh, apologizes and leaves despite, despite their pleas for him to stay and help. He states that his presence is only making the demon angry and that he has to go. God, he was, that scene was pretty awesome because he's basically was like, oh, you're fucked. Yeah, he basically, oh, you guys are fucked. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, I'm out of here, dude. You're out of your own. Good luck with that. But yeah, it's it, it just he walked in and he just kind of was like, oh, man, this is bad. Like, you are on Yeah, your he own. Like walks in. He's like, oh, whoop. 
deuces, I'm out. Like, what the hell do you mean? You just got here. It's like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. If a demonologist walks into my house and literally goes, up, oh, can't be here. I'm going to get the fuck out of there as soon as I can. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not going to bother getting my stuff. I'm just like, oh, yeah, me too, buddy. Where are we going? Oh. Uh, so, you know, so Dr. Fredericks, he, he, he deuces out. He's, he's gone. Uh, not, 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 not happens and they see a shadow moves across the bedroom door. That shit was fucking creepy. Uh, and now everything is becoming physical. This is when you know that if you hadn't already left, you you definitely need to be leaving now when things start getting physical. Katie ends up getting pulled out of her bed by an invisible force uh, during night 20. She They're stressed and exhausted, so they Katie and Micah end up deciding to go to a hotel. Well, Micah finds Katie gri- gripping a cross so tightly that it ends up bloody in her palm. Uh, Micah, you know, he's pissed off and angry at everything that's going on because, uh, you know, he's in this fucking situation that he cannot control at all. He ends up burning the cross and the picture found in the attic. Just as he is about to leave, though, uh, a suddenly apathetic Katie insists that they're okay now and 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 everything's gonna be fine and they should stay and her voice is very flat when she does this this is when you know you need to fucking leave because Katie is not Katie anymore like as soon as she starts suddenly like Katie literally just goes from like wanting to leave to Oh yeah, we're just going to say now everything's fine. But her voice, you can just tell in her voice that that's not Katie anymore. Micah, you're a dumbass. So on night 21, it's not 21 now, Katie awakens and she once again is just kind of standing and staring at Micah while he sleeps. She walks uh, out of the darkness and she ends up holding a large bloody kitchen knife and her shirt is all bloodied up. She sits beside the bed holding the knife and rocking herself until about 2 p.m. Uh her she she's you know, she's rocking herself until 2 p.m. the next day. Her friend Amber calls and she leaves a message expressing her concern. Well, at about 9.20 at night, uh, Katie's still uh, sitting and rocking by the bed, and Amber can be heard entering the house. During the period, during that period, uh, Katie ends up, ended up stop, uh, she stopped rocking, and after Amber, uh, Amber, Amber sees Micah's body, because you know, Katie's killed Micah, she runs out of the house, and uh, Katie ends up resuming rocking. And half an hour later, just after 9.50 p.m., police enter the home and they discover Micah's body as well. They, they're they checking uh, 
knock his body for vital signs, and a light turns on in the bedroom down the hallway, but before the police see it, the light turns off again. They discover Katie still sitting beside the bed with the knife. As they call to her, she wakes from her catatonic state, and she seems confused as she approaches them knife in hand, calling Micah. They ask her to drop the weapon. Suddenly, the bedroom door behind the police officer slams shut, startling them, and causing them to shoot Katie, who collapses on the floor. And then it says the police uh, call for dispatch. They check the bedroom. At the end of the hall, they don't find anything. They discover the video camera is still running. And a text shows up on the screen. And it says that Michael's body was discovered by police on October 11th. But it's 2006. That's, uh, and then, you know, that's it. They, they, there's no closing credits or anything. You got anything you want to add, JR? No, I mean, I just, I really can't put over enough of how ingenious this movie is. Um, they took basically no resources and put together an amazing story that I think most horror fans can find some relation to because of the fact that they grew up with some sort of ghost story. Um, it seemed very real. Like I mentioned, like the effects that they used in the film was, was really, um, it was just something that I, we all could identify with loud noises, slamming of doors. These are things when you hear ghost stories that you hear about. And it it escalated. Like, that's what the, I think the other part, too, wasn't all of a sudden, like, day one, it was, like, all hell broke loose. Like, it was a slow escalation to, and it gave, like, until it got to the final crescendo. So this movie, um, and the fact it was such a small budget, which, as I mentioned before, was no budget of $15,000, um, gives puts it for me to give very high praise. It's a, I mean, it's a, for anybody, especially if you're into like into film aesthetics, this is a film that you should be seeing in film aesthetics from the way that the film is shot with the, with the handheld camera, with the way that practical effects are used, sound effects. It's something that, students should be studying especially if they're looking into um making their first student film and replicating that success i mean when i say success i don't mean like you're gonna make 200 million dollars i'm just talking about making a film that is watchable and making a film that will give you high praise and that's the reason why i end up watching this film when i did um because as you had mentioned this film originally was released in 2007, but then it was released, you know, that was in the uh, the Screamfest Festival, but then it got more of a United States distribution in September 2009. At the time, when I saw this film, I was finishing up my communications minor and taking film classes to finish that minor. That's how I came across it. Um, and it was something that, is true story, my wife, definitely hates horror films she does not do the spooky stuff and uh she had to watch this film because it was a it was a film that
that was required um, to do a paper on. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. But, uh, I didn't know that your wife uh, got to do a paper on this. Yeah. So I mean, we both. I mean, when we're studying film in, in college at the time, like I said, we were finishing up. Uh, she got a major in communications. I got a minor in communications. But uh, taking those film classes, and this came out, and it would have been out probably. Um, we ended up. It was on DVD, and the the. Again, you know, the professor gave really high praise to it. I mean, especially when you break it down, the the technical part of this film and what made it successful. I think that's why for me, I give it such high praise because they it in the in the similar sentiments I have for uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, where they had such a small budget and made such a successful film this film had even a smaller budget and had to be extremely creative to make it work for them. And they did. And like I said, it knocked it out of the ballpark. I, I mean, I don't have, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to run the numbers, but I think even if you adjust for inflation, like this film, um, obviously had less of a way less of a budget than John Carpenter's Halloween, but I think even just for inflation for 1978 money to 2009, it's probably the same box office, give or take, you know, maybe a couple, you know, 10 or 15 million um, of that close to uh, 30, 30 year old, you know, time difference. But that's where I see it as. That's why I think for me, I give it such high praise because it has that spirit of, of John Carpenter's Halloween where it's like we have a small budget but we made an excellent film. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with you. Uh you really hit every point uh I wanted to make with this one. This this is this is an excellent film. It's uh you know, for such a small budget they, they knocked it out of the park and just the way it's filmed in general. It's why you see film class uh you see film film schools uh, do studies on it and everything just excellent excellent marketing excellent filmmaking it, 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 it it's such a great film no wonder it spawned a uh, franchise and i mean it pretty much started blumhouse production so you know we have we have that to thank for it as well uh i'm gonna give it uh you know just for we'll be cliche we'll do uh, we'll do ghost uh, I'm gonna give it four ghosts out of five as well. What about you, Jr.? Jr. Apologize, I kept myself on mute. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh three two one for me um when i rate these films and i've said you know when i give a rating is there is this something would i watch it again will i not watch it again um is there anything that could be approved on the acting side the techno technological side the story storyline side and i think this is only the second time i've given it and i know the first one was john carpenter's halloween 
I'm going to give this a five out of five because I don't think there's anything you could do that's going to make this film better. I think this is, they made a picture perfect film. And even when you look at the different alternative endings, I think all the alternative endings work is just the difference is that two of them doesn't allow the, doesn't allow a sequel. And one of it does. Yeah. Uh, now going back, uh, now we're in, uh, going back and ch- uh, checking. Uh, I think I accidentally uh, talked about one of the. I talked about the alternate ending over the theatrical ending. Yeah, uh, I didn't want to. You know, the you what you actually mentioned was the original ending. This was before it was cut, where the police officers get in, and they um, they shoot and kill uh, kill Katie. Another alternate ending um, is where. Katie kills Mike off screen, then comes in front of the camera and she ends up taking her life by slitting her throat and her lifeless body drops to the floor and it fades to black. The ending that we, that most people will know is that um, Micah hears Katie scream off camera, goes check on it. Then all of a sudden, next, you know, you see Micah like literally get tossed to the camera and then Katie comes towards Micah's, Micah's body as it's crawling, looks up at the camera and grins. And all of a sudden, you know, basically it's demon Katie and lunges towards the camera and then um, fades to black. Police finds Micah's body, but Katie's body isn't found. And that's that that was that's the ending that most people know. Yeah, I apologize to any listeners who didn't know who was a little confused by the ending, but yeah, that's, I screwed up and said the wrong ending, but eh, it is what it is. But yeah, man, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. It's one of the best found footage movies in recent in recent time, if not ever. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that's why I added it uh, to this list, because yeah, in my opinion, we're, we're, uh, we're going to be talking about two of the best found footage films there is. This month, we just talked about paranormal activity, and you know, we're closing this month with the Blair Witch Project, which is you know the OG of found footage, the ones that kind of started everything. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're gonna go ahead and put a bow on this one. Uh, we hope everybody in, enjoyed our review of paranormal activity, and the, the, we want to thank you all for anyone who's listening. If you've been with us from the beginning or you're a new listener, just thank you for checking us out. We appreciate it. And we hope you continue to support us and and uh, and stay with us, uh, tune in with us every week. Anything you want to add, JR, before we close it? Um, one thing I want to say is I just uh, want to give a shout out to... There's Yesterday was... National Best Friends Day, and those people know. Um, I gave a shout out to Kyle and my other friend Floyd because Kyle and Floyd are two of the people I talk to on a very regular basis. I mean, as far as actually like talking, not just through text or online, but actually like verbal having conversations with about everything life and you know, horror and wrestling. Um, and today, as we're recording. Now we went from Wednesday, June 9th to Thursday. 
June 10th. Uh, June 10th is my boy's Floyd. He turned the big 4-0, officially an old man. So I just want to give him a shout out. Happy 40th birthday. Um, you can find him if you, you by the time you listen to it, see this, it will drop ours on July 11th. But if you hear this, give him happy belated birthday. It's uh, He's at Floyd Johnson Jr. Like I say, he turned 40. He's, you know, one of my best friends, him and Kyle. So um, love him, love him to death. And just like I said, I just want to give him a shout out for his birthday. Hell yeah. It's wonderful. Uh, happy birthday, Floyd. I, I hope it's a good one. So thank you for everybody for joining us today. Um, with that said, we hope you have a good weekend and we must bid you adieu. Goodbye. Good night. Babe.